Welcome to the Weather Insights Podcast. I'm meteorologist Scott Pitney, along with meteorologist Jeff Lindner. Jeff, good evening. Yes, sir. Good evening. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, wait, you're the host. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I talking to you like a guest? Well, no, in a way, you are a guest, because tonight we're going to do a special... Um, I don't know if it, is anniversary the right word for a hurricane. Anyway, we're going to talk about about Ike, the uh, the date uh, that Ike made landfall is coming up, and uh, we're going to be discussing that tonight. Just a, a short podcast, just Jeff and I, um, partly it's to talk about that, and partly because we couldn't find anybody to come on the show. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, Jeff uh, obviously uh, was very busy during that time, and so um, what are what are some of your initial thoughts about about Hurricane Ike takeaways? So, you know, I had I had been working um, for a few years before Ike, and, and we had just come off of Rita in '05. So Rita, Katrina, and all that was '05, and we had just got through with the the evacuation of, of Hurricane Rita. And then we hadn't had anything. We didn't have anything in 2006. We had a, a tropical storm, tropical storm Aaron in 2007 that had some flooding. Uh, and then we had a really busy 2008. So we had, we had Dolly, which impacted the lower Texas coast um, in July of 08. Uh, we had Ed Ward, which was a tropical storm that made landfall on the upper Texas coast um, in August and didn't do a whole lot. Then we had Gustav, which went into Louisiana, and we had kind of reached that time in the season, mid-September, where, yeah, we're, 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 we're feeling pretty good here. And here comes Ike that looks like it's going to turn and go up the East Coast. Uh, so Ike was a, um, a, what we call a Cape Verde stormer, formed off of Africa, moved all the way across the Atlantic, uh, moved north of the Caribbean, approached the Bahamas, and looked like it was going to uh, turn off to the north, um, but instead was blocked by high pressure. And, and not only did it turn back west, kind of moved west-southwest across Cuba, and then into the Gulf of Mexico, um, and eventually made landfall near Texas. And if you actually overlay the 1900 storm track and the track of Hurricane Ike, they're actually really similar. And you know, not not very far apart um, date-wise. You know, uh, the 1900 storm was September 8th. I uh, made landfall. I think it was on the either late the 12th or early the 13th. I always get it mixed up. Um, yeah, and you wonder how accurate the track was in 1900. At least yeah, you know, it's it's probably a little bit of a wag um, when you look at, especially out in the Caribbean. And obviously across the Gulf of Mexico, even it's you know how how do you really know in 1900, uh, you know there wasn't oil rigs out there unless there was a ship, and chances are it was sunk. Right. Um, so it you know it's pieced together as best we can. A lot of, yeah, and a lot of the tracks I see of the 1900 storm take it all the way across Cuba, which to me is surprising that a storm could survive crossing that much land, but it might have been a rapidly moving storm. And that is one way they can track it. I mean, obviously they can, you know, the, the Cuban meteorologists at the time can uh, determine what the weather's doing. But um, 
Yeah, we we don't get a lot of long tracking storms hit Texas. No, no. Most most of our storms uh, that hit Texas, most of our hurricanes form in the Gulf of Mexico and, and hit the state within about sixty or seventy two hours. And so mm -hmm. it's not um, it's not these long track Rita Ike um, type storms. It's more your Alicia Harvey type systems that form in the Gulf of Mexico and hit the state in a short period of time. So, you know, Ike, Ike was the first time we tried an evacuation post Rita. Um, and, and at that point, the, the region had come up with the current evacuations that we do now with the zip, zip zone map. So if you're in these uh, zip codes that are called, you leave. Uh, and if you're not, if your zip code's not, not called, you stay in place. It's actually pretty simple. Mm -hmm. um, but we learned from Rita, we, we're, we're just not going to be able to move uh, four and five million people out of here um, in, in a period of time. Um, and and, and it's, we're, we're just not gonna be able to do it. And so it's really important we get the coastal people out from the storm surge. And so uh, the evacuation for, for Ike went a lot better. Of course, we only did zones A and B, those zip codes in zones A and B, we did not do C. Um, and, and then I think one of the things that was a little surprising with Ike was the onset of the storm surge was well ahead of the onset of the, of the wind. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for planning purposes and for, oh, I don't know, 85, 90% of storms, when you get the 40 mile an hour winds coming into the coast, that's when you start to get the water level rise, mm -hmm. um, the more significant water level rise. You know, you may have a foot or two ahead of that. Mm -hmm. But for Ike, we had six, seven, eight feet of water level rise well ahead of the onset of the tropical storm force winds on the coast. And um, two things happened. One, it submerged the west end of Galveston Island, and it also submerged uh, the Bolivar Peninsula with seawater. And so it effectively cut off the evacuation routes from those areas. And a lot of people made decisions, sort of the same decisions they made with Rita. I'm going to wait until tomorrow morning and really make sure this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And the other line of thinking we had with Ike was that it was only category two. So once it came off of Cuba, I think it was a, a, a category one hurricane coming off of Cuba, Ike was never really able to regenerate that inner core. It, it really struggled to strengthen. Now, one of the functions of that was the size of it expanded. So it got great, it was a great big uh, amount of wind over a big area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about the ice skater type thing, you put your, you put your arms out, mm -hmm. the farther you put your arms out, the weak, the slower you're going to spend. Angular momentum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very fancy. Um, and so you take, you take that and, and Ike was that the arms were spread way out. Um, it was three, four times larger than the average hurricane. And so it was, it was very much capable of moving a huge amount of water, seawater toward the coast and then into the coast. Um, and so not only do we have, you know, probably some of the highest storm surge flooding we've seen here, probably since Carla, maybe even before Carla, um, but not only here, but all the way over Southwest Louisiana, middle Louisiana, uh, South Central Louisiana around the Lafayette area and all those areas. So hundreds of miles east of where the center made landfall, uh, we had storm surge flooding of, you know, six, seven, eight, nine feet. Mm. Um, 
And so, you know, and then it made landfall. And, and I think the striking thing for us post was most most of the metro area did not get sustained hurricane force winds. Mm-hmm. So especially west of I-45. Mm-hmm. So you're talking Fort Bend County, Waller County, Western Harris, uh, most of Montgomery County, um, Missouri County. Uh, we really, you, you had a strong tropical storm with Ike. Yeah. Um, I think Hobby, I think they gusted to 86. Yeah. Um, so there, there was probably some sustained hurricane force winds in, in Harris over by the bay. Yeah. Well, I, I lived in Katy at the time. And it was a very strange event because it was extremely windy, but the sun was out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there just wasn't much convection on that side, though. You know, uh, west side of the storm. But um, so, so the storm surge it came in how many hours ahead of the hurricane force winds? Do you remember? You know, I think it was a good, well, before the hurricane force winds, it was a good 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, before the tropical storm force winds, it was probably a good eight, eight to 10 hours ahead. Mm-hmm. So really for planning purposes, emergency management evacuation you always kind of your cutoff is usually around that that 40 mile an hour 40 mile an hour wind threshold so when the when the tropical storm force winds hit the coast that's when everything should be done yeah um unfortunately for this situation we had big big problems with water um with the sun was still shining i mean we 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 didn't even have rain bands coming in we had flooding all over the place and um, a lot of people that decided not to leave on Bolivar mm-hmm. were trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, Rollover Pass right. uh, was still there, and um, that was the only way out. It went through High on 124, and then obviously at this point, the ferry couldn't dock anymore, mm-hmm. um, so you couldn't use the ferry. And so um, that Friday, the Coast Guard spent most of the day, and they plucked about 900 people off of Bolivar and brought them over to Ellington Field. Wow. Um, so rollover, rollover pass, did it go out during that initial storm surge then? Did, did, yeah. It was, in, it was impassable after that initial storm surge. Right. The, 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 the water came up and, and, and overwashed uh, Highway 87, which is, you know, two or three feet of water overwashed Highway 87. Right. Uh, right. Over at near rollover pass. And right. then eventually the whole peninsula was under. Yeah. By Friday afternoon, Maybe a few areas around Crystal Beach still were out of the water, but most everything else was underwater on Butler. Yeah. So you could not get off if you wanted to at that point, um, unless you were uh, air-backed by the yeah. Coast Guard. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a terrible situation there. And, and, you know, the aftermath, it was, I think I remember like only three structures still standing. Uh, it just got inundated. But uh, uh, I did not know that about airlifting the 900 that's that's great they got those folks out anyway yeah well you know it's one of those it's one of those things from a planning standpoint you you don't it it doesn't we don't face this too often you know because typically the wind comes in the water comes in and you're not doing that type of stuff when that's happening you know you're not putting helicopters up and and boats out there when the wind's blowing 60 miles an hour and and the and the water's up at that point you're you're on your own was it was there any lesson learned from that uh, storm jeff that you know a situation where okay why did this storm surge come in so far ahead 
of the tropical force winds, or is it still kind of a mystery that we just got to be aware of? The, the lesson was the size of the wind field. And so while Ike was not an overly powerful hurricane, it was an extremely large hurricane. And so when you look at the maximum, the, the radius of maximum winds, and that's kind of the hurricane force winds, those sustained 75 mile an hour winds, uh, they extended outward 125 miles from the center. Mm. You know, a big hurricane is 30 miles from the center. Mm -hmm. So this was massive. Yeah. I mean, massive. Yeah. I mean, we had hurricane force winds all the way over in Beaumont, Port Arthur, Lake Charles mm. for our landfall in, in Galveston Bay. And so when you take that much wind field over the Gulf of Mexico, you're encompassing a very large portion of the Gulf. And if you, if you think about the Gulf, it's a kind of a closed system, right? Yeah. Water can't get in or out of it very easily. And and you, you kind of, the, the end result from a storm coming from the Southeast is it piles the water up ahead of it along the coast. Um, and it's been, you know, Carla probably in 61 was somewhat similar. It was a big storm slow moving, a lot stronger. Um, so there probably was some of this with Carla. Um, obviously, we, we it, Carla made landfall way down the coast in a, least, a, a lesser populated area. And we also did, we don't have, we didn't at the time have the um, technology we have today of, of measuring this stuff ahead of, you know, as it's coming in, the tide gauges and all that. And so Carla probably produced something similar uh, back in 1961, but it's not very often you see this. Um, Katrina, maybe a little bit on the Mississippi coast, but it's it's just the size of the storm. So you have to be aware of that wind field, not so much the strength, not the category, but that wind field um, when these things are coming in, especially in the Northwest Gulf, because the water piles up here yeah. um, because of the shape of the coast. Yeah, and, and it's shallow. Yes, very shallow. And you, well, we say shallow, it's relatively it's, it's shallow. It's still 15, 20 feet. Yeah. But unlike 600 feet off the coast of, of eastern Florida, it's it's shallow for a long way out. So you, from Galveston, 100 miles out, the water doesn't get very deep. Right. And so you can build these big storm surges up. And I imagine in 1900, um, if you read some of the books, from 1900, they they described a similar situation where there was a north wind, the sun was still out, and and Galveston was being covered with water. Yep. Well, that's that describes I perfectly. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of similarities with what we went through in 1900 in Galveston, and Ike. I I think though we for sure the 1900 storm was a stronger hurricane. Um, but probably based on a similar track, maybe size-wise, it, it kind of produced that that forerunning water level rise that was documented even in 1900 of, we have a north wind. When you have a north wind on the Texas coast, the seawater should not be rising right. and covering up things. Yeah. The other thing about 1900 too, of course, there was no seawall and Galveston only being eight feet above sea level. You know, on, on extremely high tides, but maybe a strong south wind, they did get water in the streets back then. So it, it's like, at first it was probably, they were probably thinking, well, you know, this is kind of normal, but then it wouldn't go away. It kept coming in. And then of course the north, northeast wind too for 1900. Yeah. yeah. Going off. Um, so 
where where are we still vulnerable down in the Galveston area? In, you feel like uh, you know the, the seawall starts right there on East Beach and ends somewhere I don't know on the west side. But uh, so obviously the West End, Jamaica Beach, that Pirates Beach area. But what about the other end? Like depending on the angle a hurricane approaches Galveston, you know, are we? Are we vulnerable in places? Well, we talked about earlier the Texas City Diet got tested, but um, that you know, even up from there, Kima. I mean, the the right size hurricane with a big wind field, like you're talking about, approaching the at the right angle. It seems to me that it's still a very vulnerable area. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is why we have evacuation uh, areas here that that go you know inland. Um, it's why we talk so much about hurricane preparedness in this region because we're vulnerable. Um, and of course, this is really the storm surge impact of that rise in the seawater that, that concerns us the most. Um, you know, a lot of people think Galveston, it, that, I don't know if they realize Galveston's highest point is the seawall. Yeah. And so everything from that point back toward the bay slopes back down to sea level. And so um, the whole backside of Gavis, of the island, the Strand, uh, the medical UTMB, uh, Moody Gardens, the airport, all of that flooded six, seven, eight, nine, ten feet with 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 Ike. This, mm. The seawater came in from Galveston Bay and off its body and, and just flooded that area. Now you don't get the big waves yeah. that you get on the front side of the island on the on the seawall side. Yeah. And so the structures are still standing, unlike on Bolivar, where the waves just come in and obliterate it and there's nothing left. Um, but all of those, you know, structures, strand, uh, UTMB, all flooded yeah. deep with yeah. deep water. And so, you know, that's something to understand is the majority of the island is still only five, six feet above sea level, maybe seven feet. And then it goes up towards 15 feet there at the front where, where you go down the seawall. Um, you know, the West End is no different than Bolivar. Um, you know, it's, it's, for lack of a word, it's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. there's no protection down there. What little dune system there was has just been decimated by storms. And, and then you get further north and you get into the big population around Kima, Seabrook, Clear Lake, NASA, all of that area is just, just a lot of people in there that, that can be flooded with storm surge, with seawater flooding. And that, that's what concerns me the most. And you're on the west side, you can you can see you're not protected and it should be a no-brainer to get out of there. But in populated places that, you know, have seen so many storms, so many warnings and things like that, and style, oh, we've, we've been fine writing all these out all the time. Those are the ones that scare me because with a perfect scenario, if you will, that it's just going to be a mess. Yeah, and, and we, we sort of saw it with Ike some. So the, the storm surge in, in Harris County for Ike was anywhere from 10 to 12 feet. I think we got up to 14 feet in the ship channel, which is your highest surge is going to be at the head of Galveston Bay. So that northwest part of the bay, um, uh, you know, San Jacinto Monument area. Lynchburg Ferry area, Baytown, up into the Ship Channel, up into the Lower San Jacinto River, because that water all gets funneled in there. There's just nowhere for it to go, so yeah. it has to rise vertically. And so, that's where you're going to get your big surge flooding um, in, in these types of storms. Obviously, we have 
uh, a big issue with the petrochemical industry on the ship channel. Um, and a lot of that industry has some level of protection. You know, there's uh, flood walls and, and levees sort of in place that are up around where we were with Ike. So I kind of stopped just short of dumping seawater into, into all of that industry. But if, if you get a bigger surge, you know, you're putting saltwater seawater into, into a lot of that area down there that uh, doesn't mix well with a lot of the things they do down there. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better, you know, example of it. And then, and then you have all the home, you know, you have all the coastal portions of Southeast Harris County, uh, Shore Acres is a particularly low area with Seabrook and Kima. And, and you know, with, with Ike, we saw everything that happens with that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I know neither one of us are obviously civil engineers, but if we could wave a magic wand and, and maybe build something like a seawall, another seawall or something like that, where, where would you spend your money and what would you, what would you put in to protect those areas? You know, there's a lot of talk about the, the Ike Dyke, um, mm -hmm. the coastal reduction, the risk reduction that you get with the, um, barrier that potentially is built from Beaumont Port Arthur all the way down to San Luis Pass mm -hmm. with a gate structure at, uh, <clears throat> near where the Galveston Ferry is, right? <clears throat> and so you, you, you kind of put this in place, you know, it certainly would help protect a lot of that coastal area. It would, it would help to some degree protect Galveston Bay. One thing you have to keep in mind is even if you're able to keep the Gulf of Mexico out of Galveston Bay, just the wind alone blowing across Galveston Bay could result in storm surge um, eight, nine, ten feet still really? on the west side of the bay. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so even with Galveston Bay shut off from the Gulf of Mexico, 100, 110 mile an hour winds blowing across the bay just is going to take the water in the bay and pile it up. On, on whatever side the wind's blowing toward it. So you can still get, you know, eight feet of surge and five foot waves wow. at the Kima boardwalk. Mm. Um, so it's definitely, it, it's definitely something there to help. And obviously this is, this is part of the Army Corps of Engineers effort um, that, that still needs to be funded. So Congress has kind of approved it, but they haven't maybe necessarily funded it. And so there's a lot that obviously goes into these big types of infrastructure projects. And then of course, um, you know, what, what does that look like on the front side? It's not a seawall. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a, what we have right now in Galveston. It's it, it, the plan is kind of a double dune type system. So it's sand, big sand dunes, two in a row mm -hmm. back to back, mm -hmm. um, that are 15, 16 feet high. Um, which absorbs a lot of that surge, but you know, there's a lot of questions of, well, if we get a storm and obviously it's going to do a number on those dunes, how quickly can an agency come back in there and replenish that if there's another threat? I mean, if you're talking a year, you're vulnerable yeah. for a year. Yeah. Um, and then you get into a gate system, um, which would be similar to, to what you have in New Orleans or the Netherlands. Uh, that you just shut these gates and, and you prevent the seawater from coming in at Galveston Bay. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, there's there's the plan is for no gate structure at uh, San Luis Pass. Mm -hmm. um, Probably not enough people. Yeah, I think I, there's some things that have gone on um, down that way um, that the whole project kind of ends right there. Um, you know, I think you got to be careful that storm surge doesn't 
is not allowed to flow or enter the bay around that end of the island because it can now you know most of us think well a hurricane's going to come out of the southeast which is the most logical mm. angle of approach for us here which would mean you, your winds would be out of the northeast which would be forcing water out of the bay through there mm. um but you never know you never know every time you think you got it figured out there'll be a storm that you know comes up the coast from a different angle well a lot of them have formed in the bay of campeche and you know that's from the southwest right generally south southwest yeah and carla carla's from the southeast yeah came up out of the caribbean yeah caribbean. yeah so not many but yeah it's it's possible hmm. interesting stuff um any uh any final thoughts on on ike you know, it's it's 15 years. It's the last time we attempted an evacuation mm. in this area. We haven't mm. we haven't attempted one. Mm -hmm. Laura was uh, close. We were on pins and needles with Laura. I don't know yep. if most people realize how close we were to pulling that trigger on Laura uh, for an evacuation. That was a hurricane that went to Lake Charles in 2020. Yep. Yep. Um, but really, you know, we haven't dealt with the need for an evacuation. Um, from storm surge flooding here in 15 years. You know, Harvey was rainfall flooding. Harvey is your inland freshwater rainfall flooding. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a lot of storm surge in this part of Texas from Harvey. There was down, you know, around uh, Port Aransas and that area. Um, and so it's it's really important for folks to understand where they live with respect to seawater flooding. Um, if they're in uh, those evacuation areas, your zip code is in those evacuation areas. You can get those maps anywhere. TV stations, uh, your county local emergency management offices. Um, these, these maps are all over the place, the zip, the zip zone map for our area. Um, and understand if you're not in those areas, because I get this question all the time. Well, I, I live in the woodlands. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in, I'm not colored. So Stay what, off the road. What do I do? And that's exactly right. We're going to ask you to shelter in place. Yeah. You might not like it. It might be scary. But the, the, the whole point of all this is we we got to get those coastal folks out because they could have water up to their rooftops and you're not going to survive that. No. Yeah, don't uh, evacuate a flood. Don't evacuate if you're not asked to or told to. Um, you're just going to make things worse. And if you are mandatory and there is an evacuation, please evacuate. You know, don't it's not just about you it's about the other people that you put in harm's way trying to save you and, and then it gets to a point where you're not going to be saved anyway um you know you, you can't be so um don't don't let the time lapse of the 15 years fool you just because we haven't had one um you know i i think it was uh bill reed that was talking about this that uh you know people that have lived in those places for 30 years we'll probably see about four or five evacuation orders. Mm -hmm. Most of them will be false alarms, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it's the one that could affect you for the rest of your life or, or worse. We don't know which one that's going to be. Yeah, I think it was Bill, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that struck a chord with me. I was like, OK, I see. So take them all seriously. Yeah, I think it was Bill who told me, you, if you're living here, you have to be willing to evacuate and have absolutely nothing happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the price we pay for living down here on the Gulf Coast. You know, we don't get to five degrees most winters. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, he's right. You have to be willing to leave 
and you come back and everything is fine. But you have to do it every time there's a threat. Yeah. If you're told to go, you got to go because there will be that time where you come back and, and a lot of uh, stuff has happened. Yeah. A lot of bad things have happened. And you, you don't want to be here in those areas, in those coastal areas. You don't want to be here um, when that does happen. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, I, I've been through one and I wasn't in an evacuation area. It's miserable anyway. It's so. I mean, no, no air conditioning, uh, you know, without power. It's just so humid. I mean, you, you think Houston, Houston's humid. Wait till after a, a tropical system goes through here. Yeah. It's, uh, you don't want to be here anyway. So, yeah. Good stuff, Jeff. Thanks for, th thanks for uh, the memories. <laughs> <laughs> Turn into an evacuation speech. Well, you know, Whatever. that's what our show did. Yeah. I, mean, I just, it's like a river, it just flows. So. Anyway, all right, man. We'll see you next time.